Hey Parks, hey Lambs, we love you. We're so grateful that, that this church somehow feels like home. When we moved here a couple years ago, three years ago, uh, this week, we started here. And um, three years, feels like a long time. Uh, and we, um, we were so grateful for how multi-generational this church was. The future of this church will always be multi-generational. We love uh, learning from those wiser and serving those younger. I mean, we just love the multi-generational nature of the church. And so we celebrate that. But when we came here, our dream was uh, for, for people like you who were not here to find home here. And uh, for both of your families, out of all the places to go in this, the second largest city in America, you found yourself in this old Baptist church in La Crescenta. And, um, and I'm just, I'm humbled by it and I'm so grateful that God brought you here. And so, and for all the new members, I think we've, we voted in, in the last year and a half, I think we voted in like 25 members or something like that. And so, and membership, not every church values membership, but here's the deal. I love membership, especially when we're building something new because it tells me who's with us and who's ready to go. And I'm just so grateful for people um, that have become members since we've been here. And, uh, and if you're not a member and you're like, hey, I never even really knew about it. I'd love to talk to you about it. I value it so much because it really, it, it draws a line in the sand to say, this is my people, I'm with you, and here we go. And so um, if you haven't been a member or if you haven't done that yet and you'd like to talk about it, I'd love to talk with you about it sometime. All right, uh, I'd like to open with a scripture from Ephesians chapter two. Um, you've probably heard this before. A lot of what you'll hear today, if you grew up in the church, might sound familiar because it's Christmas and you know this story. And so my, my prayer for you as I was preparing for today was just that you would just stick with it and that you would ask the Holy Spirit, God, make this come alive in my heart and mind today, okay? Make this come alive in my heart and mind. And so this is from Ephesians chapter two, starting in verse 14, it says this. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united the Jews and the Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. This is the end. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. And some good news. So, okay, welcome home. So glad you're here. Uh, grateful, again, that you decided to be here with us today. Um, today is, uh, as Pastor Jeff said and Pastor Manny said and everyone has said, it is week two of Advent for us, and we're talking about peace, specifically the plan for peace that God had set in motion in the world, the plan of peace that found fulfillment in Jesus the Christ. And so as we begin today, I'd just like to pray um, and just, again, bring God into this moment and ask that God would make this message of peace come alive in us again. So let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we believe you're real and you're good and you love us and that you lead to peace. And so God, we ask 
this morning that this story that many of us know, many of us have heard our entire life, God, that this story would become real to us, maybe in ways it never has. God, we ask that, that, that your spirit would move in us, that your spirit has written the content of our, of our scriptures, and God, we ask that your spirit be present as we receive that today, and that we would come and we would learn and discover more and more of why Advent is such good news. And so, Jesus, we love you and we thank you for all that we remember today. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So, for the past few months, uh, and some of you might know this, I have made an intentional effort not to watch the news. And it's not because I want to be oblivious to what's happening in the world. It's not, not that at all. It's just that I found myself starting the day unnecessarily stressed as I brought in all this information and found myself being formed by the news into a more negative person. More negative, at least, than, than God made me to be, right? And so I, I, had, I had to let it go. And it was good. It was good for me, and it was good for months. I'd start my day instead, like, watching sermons on YouTube. Um, I'd scroll cat videos that Becca sent me the night before. I would uh, talk with my kids. I'd make coffee. I would start the day slow. I would read my Bible. And it was so good. But then Thanksgiving week came along, and we were in, in Mississippi. And somehow I kind of got sucked back into the news. It was just kind of on TV. And it's not like there's anything wrong with the news. It's just... You know, it was on, and so I, I watched a little, and then when I was there, I, I, I got the flu, the actual flu. I haven't had the flu in like 35 years, right? And so I'm like, what is happening? I didn't even know if it was still a thing. Anyway, I got the flu, and I started watching a lot. And then I would start scrolling a lot, and then we get home, and I'm still sick, and when Becca takes the kids to school, like, I, I only had so many Christmas movies to watch, right? And so what did I do? I, I turned on the news in the morning, and it, and it hit me this past week. It hit me this past week when I was catching up. I hadn't been on the news in a long time. It hit me that while I didn't really expect me not watching for a few months to have an effect on what was being broadcasted, I guess I just assumed that, that, that things some, somehow would improve. You know, like, like the problem would be solved or that people would move on. But, but what did I see instead? I saw that some things just never change. Same story, new day. And they were all pointing to this reality that the world is a mess. The world is a mess. And I just want to throw a couple headlines past you from this past week. The world is a mess from, from four students being found dead in a small town in Idaho to another round of crazy storms going through the south to a nationwide rail strike to, I don't know if you heard about this, a 10-year-old's abortion lawsuit in Indiana to embezzlement, political division, the war in Ukraine, inflation, affairs, cancer, and the list could go on and on and on. And it keeps going. And it kept going just like it did before I stopped watching. And it's not like there aren't good things happening in the world because of course there are, but even with all the good, it seems, it seems like there's this looming cloud of bad always waiting on the horizon. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's true. Friends, in this life, there are so many things we see and experience that just aren't quite right. We see them, and, that, and that's because if you're taking notes, there are so many things we see and experience that are not operating 
or existing as they were intended to. None of these things that I mentioned before, from my influenza to the kids in Idaho, none of this, as, as normal as it might seem in our everyday life today, I need you to know that none of these things were ever meant to happen. None of these things were ever meant to happen. I know this might sound wild, but you were never meant to get COVID. You were never meant to get cancer or have to figure out how to save enough money in California to retire. None of these things. These conflicts, these inequities, the tragedies and trials that we all live through this side of heaven were never meant to exist. Why? Because when God created the world, it was good. It lacked nothing from oceans and mountains to plants and animals and air quality. Everything was good. Everything was good and existed in a system of harmony that supported flourishing in the world. Everything was good, and it was just as it was intended in the beginning. And then what happened, right? God, God made people to govern this world, this good world that he had made. Man and woman, he named them his, his triune image. Father, Son, he's created, he called them humanity, he called them his prize of creation. They were his, and he was theirs, and all was good. All was right. All was at peace in the garden of God's good world, just as God intended. And I want you to picture that for just a second, because it feels like we're pretty far disconnected. It feels like we're pretty far disconnected from the garden today. But I just want you to imagine this for a moment, the scene in the garden from Genesis 1 and 2. This is how the world was designed to operate. This is how creation was supposed to exist, a world where there was always enough and never a doubt. A world with unlimited opportunity and no insecurity. A world where God was near to every heart and there was no confusion about his goodness or his authority. There was no pain. There were no tears. There was no death. All things lived at peace. And this word peace that we're, that we're talking about throughout the course of our day, this, this word peace in the, in the original language, the Hebrew word is actually the word shalom. Can you say that with me real quick? Shalom. One more time. Shalom. And while there are a number of different definitions to describe peace today that we might understand, shalom at its core simply means complete and lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. This was God's dream for his creation. It was shalom. It was peace. And shalom was reality on the earth, that is, until sin entered the world through a crafty serpent and through God's beloved prize. As they created an imbalance, a disorder in God's good world. So the timeline that we see is this. It was good. Everything was existing in harmony, in balance. And then there was sin. And then it, and then it wasn't good. As the once peace-filled garden of God's presence became a paradise lost for all humanity. Still, even in this moment that we know as the fall from Genesis chapter 3, a moment that over generations went on to birth all the headlines we see when we turn on the news today, even in this first moment of lack and dissonance, God had a plan from day one of this division to one day bring harmony and completion back to the world. God had a plan to bring peace in two phases. 
peace with his people for today, and then ultimately peace on the earth for eternity. So there's peace with his people, and there's peace on the earth. And it's this two-phase plan of peace that we'll be taking a closer look at today as we celebrate the second Advent, uh, second week of Advent, and ultimately why Christmas is such a big deal. Sound good? All right, now as we remember today what's possible and also what's promised through the arrival of Jesus, I just want to give you a heads up. For the next few weeks, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, um, we'll be covering a lot of Bible, not necessarily specific passages, but the story as a whole. Because even though the birth of Jesus happened contextually, and we find it about two-thirds of the way through our scriptures, it's actually rooted within a much greater story woven from beginning to end of our Bibles. And so again, while on its own, the story of the nativity that we remember every year with candy canes and cookies and it's a wonderful life, it's meaningful and it's cute and it's nostalgic on its own, but when we read it in line with the greater story of God, you will see that the nativity has power. That the nativity has power, and power not just to make you feel good for a moment, but the power to literally reset the world back to the way it was always intended to be. Let me say that one more time. The story of Christmas that we all remember every year, it carries with it the ordained power of God to reset creation and bring true peace, shalom, back to the earth for all who believe. For you and for me, once and for all. And this is where we're hanging out for the rest of our time, the plan of peace. And so if you have your Bibles, follow me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9. If you're kind of new to the Bible or to church, before we read Isaiah, just a bit of backstory for how the story brings us up to this scripture, starting where we left off in the garden. So again, God, he, he made a perfect, peace-filled world in the beginning, where he and his people existed without limits and without lack. But because of sin, Adam and Eve, right, the once perfect paradise that God made for us was now unavailable to us because we were now incomplete. Still, God hated the reality, so the plan of peace was born. And we see this two-phase plan starting first in Genesis chapter 3 in what scholars like to call the proto-euangelion. How about that for a good word, right? If you ever watch in Jeopardy and someone says, hey, where did God's story of redemption begin? You say, the proto-euangelion. Here we go. But it's simply proto-euangelion just means first gospel or the first good news we see. And it starts like this in, in verse 14 of Genesis 3. It'll be on the screen. It says this. It says, then the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as, you, as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And what God is saying here in Genesis chapter 3 to the enemy, the serpent, to Satan in the garden, is because you brought sin into the world... Because of what you did, here's what I will do. He's saying, I will send a Messiah through the woman, a hero, a snake crusher, to make things right. To restore creation and all its good systems and defeat the power of sin 
and he will do it. He will make peace through your broken system of death. He will be justice for the world so I can show mercy. And this is Genesis chapter 3. He will strike your head, defeating death, and you will strike his heel through his death. And this was the plan of peace we see in Genesis chapter 3. A Christ will come to bring shalom to the world, and this is the good news. But from that point on, east of Eden, as they say, there was a whole lot of waiting a whole lot of waiting for this good news to come true. A whole lot of waiting for Advent. Thousands of years of waiting. Still, along the way, the plan began to take shape. God still, God called a people through a guy named Abraham. And from Abraham's line, the, the promised Christ would come. Then God gave them instructions. These people that he called, called Israel. And he gave them instructions through the law, the Ten Commandments, for essentially how to live at peace within the chaos of the world. That's what, the, that's what the expectation was from the law. How to live at peace within the chaos of the world. Remember, shalom was basically living in the completeness or the fullness of how God intended the world to be. So God gave them what they needed. God gave them instruction. He gave them identity. And, and for generations of waiting, God's people did have varying levels of success along this journey. Success in living God's way. There were seasons of great faithfulness and obedience, like we see in the garden. Then there were other moments of epic failure, like we see in the fall. And these were the headlines, right? Same story, new day. From Abraham being called to Moses and the Exodus, through judges, kings, and the prophets, in every season, what we see throughout the story is that they all wanted peace. They all wanted peace they all wanted to live in a world like God designed, but no matter how hard they tried, there was always something that prevented shalom. And sometimes it was a conflict from within them, that when they lived outside of what God had for them, for sure, sometimes it was from those around them, as they lived outside the systems and the intentions of God. But it became increasingly more obvious as we read through the story of God that no lasting peace would ever come when the world kept spinning outside of God's intent. And, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this personally. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I tell you what, at least for me, it makes total sense. The times of greatest conflict that I have experienced in my life, the times of greatest stress physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, the times of greatest anxiety and worry, fear and frustration, you name it, these times always happen when I'm existing in moments outside of God's intention for the world. Like Israel, sometimes it's me, right, and my own decisions. Sometimes it's, it's happening to me and it's coming at me from those around me, but I'll start to feel this tension and this conflict in my spirit sometimes and I'll have to check myself and say, what, what, is, what is happening? Why do, I feel, why do I feel such a lack of peace in my life? And nine out of ten times, the root of my stress, the root of my worry and anxiety is simply me living outside of God's dream for me. Has anyone ever felt that way? Whether it was a decision with money, a decision with relationships, a decision with your, with your health, a decision with your future, with work, like, you know, like, you're, like, you're, like you're striving toward this end that you think is best for you, and yet you, know, you find yourself still incomplete after you get there, same story, new day. 
Or are you trying to make your own way only to realize that you just, you find yourself lost over and over and over again? Well, that's exactly where Israel found themselves when God started to speak through the, the prophet Isaiah. As he informs them of the season they're in and the lack of peace they're experiencing. And, and Isaiah, he says, because of your disobedience, essentially, because of your disobedience, because you are existing outside of God's plan for the world, um, God will bring correction to you. But there's hope. There's hope because God has a plan to make all things right once and for all. And this is where our passage from Isaiah picks up today. From the garden all the way up to the prophets, starting in Isaiah 8, verse 20. It'll be on the screen. It says this. It says, look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another weary and hungry, and because they're hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down to earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. Isaiah is saying to these people, he's saying, listen, correction is coming because you neglect God's instruction. God told you how to live, and you are, you are not living in line, and so you are being sent into the darkness. And I want you to understand that, that even this side of Jesus, like there are very real consequences, real-life consequences to existing outside of God's intent. It happens to us. This is the world that God made. Nevertheless, chapter 9, starting in verse 1, there's good news. Isaiah says, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Yes, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be time in the future when, the, when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. And did you pause? I'm just going to pause there for a second. I, I want to make sure you caught that. So this was hundreds of years before Jesus. Isaiah, speaking on behalf of God, he, he, says, he says the darkness won't go on forever because in the future, Galilee will be filled with glory. Galilee was a non-Jewish region in the Middle East, and it will be filled with the presence of God. This is the promised Jesus, and this is his birth. Moving on to verse 2, it says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. This is Jesus, right? You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as a people rejoice at a harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. I love this verse 5. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms blood-stained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. Why? Because peace has come. Verse 6, this is the promise. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace, its shalom, will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Now, what do we just see? Isaiah, he starts by addressing the issue. 
And then he brings about the plan and the promise. He addresses the problem and then delivers the promise. The problem is that the world is spinning out of control. It is operating in ways that are not in line with how God wanted. And this reality, uh, Isaiah said, ultimately thrust all of humanity into chaos and into darkness. And, that, and that's the problem. The promise, though, the promise is that light is coming. And he'll come, not just, not just to the Jews in Jerusalem. He's, Isaiah says that, that God is going to expand and enlarge Israel by sending his peacemaker to the Gentiles as well, making a whole new people. A whole new people. And this is what we heard in our opening scripture in Ephesians 2, that God brought this good news of peace to everyone. And this was the plan. Peace was coming. The yoke of slavery and oppression will be broken. You will, there will be no more conflict or war, so burn the boots. Isn't that a beautiful image? Burn the boots. You won't need the uniforms anymore. The war is over. Why? Because a child is born. Jesus, Messiah, from the line of David through Abraham to the woman's offspring. And he is the Prince of Peace. He will bring light to the dark. He will bring death to life. He will rescue his people, and his government of shalom will have no end. Verse 7, this is the passionate commitment of the Lord. He will reset creation. God will make all things complete, and he'll do it through Jesus. With God the Son stepping into a problem he didn't make, to pay the price for justice we could never pay. Also, God and people can live at peace again. And this was his top priority. I think sometimes, you know, we, whether you're kind of on the peripheral of church or you grew up in church, there's some, sometimes we start to think like, all right, what is God's end game, right? Like, what does is, what is God really want? Does he want us to feel bad? Does he just want us to do a bunch of stuff? No, God's, God's ultimate dream for the world is that, that he and his people can live together again. Live at peace again. This was top priority. God wanted his people back. And the only way to do it was to take matters into his own hands. So he sent himself. He sent himself for you and for me. Manny read this earlier from Colossians, that, that Colossians says you were his enemies. You were separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions through all the ways you still existed outside of God's dream for the world. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. I love this. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And now you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And this is the power of Christmas, y'all. Because Jesus came, you can now stand before God without a single fall. Peace is possible for you. Peace is possible because of the arrival of Jesus. And finally, the headline has changed. New story, new day. One more find from Ephesians 2. For Christ brought himself, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit, because of what Christ has done for us. And this is phase one, okay? This is the first phase of the plan for peace. Christmas forced the end of the beginning, or the beginning of the end for sin once and for all. Because when Jesus arrived, it put into motion God's unstoppable plan of reconciliation through Jesus' death and resurrection, which ultimately took the power back. 
Jesus took the power back and made peace with God possible. And I hope you're catching this. Christmas created a new people. Christmas created a new people of God and ultimately gave way to God's greatest dream. The dream that was forecast in Isaiah chapter 9, but seen loud and clear and complete in the end. This is phase two. Phase two of the plan, a return to shalom, peace on earth for good. Check it out. This is Revelation chapter 21. It'll be on the screen. And this is some good news. As we look into the future, as we forecast what is to come and the promise of God, this is what we see. He writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and, and the sea was also gone. Now, there's imagery that we read in the scriptures, and the sea, or the water of the sea, was often associated in the first century to mean chaos, conflict, and tension. Sea was the great unknown. And so when the writer here is saying, he's saying, in the end, chaos is gone. There is no more confusion in the end. And then verse 2, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. This is the dream. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Friends, this is the promised end when shalom is complete. And I need you to know that it's coming. It's coming. But just like Israel waiting around for his arrival, phase one, now we're the ones waiting around on his return, phase two. Still, even in the waiting, we see the plan. The plan that peace with God is possible today because a child was born. And eternal peace is promised on the earth because a son is given. A son who will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. We see the plan. We see the plan. We see what's possible. We, we, we know what's promised. But in the meantime, friends, we must also see our place in the waiting. So we know what's possible. We know what's promised. But we must also see our role within this process as we wait, because we have a responsibility as God's new people living between the incarnation and the new creation. We do. As we follow the Prince of Peace, our job is to do what he did, and that is to make peace. In Matthew chapter 5, he calls us to be what? Peacemakers. Not peacekeepers, not peace enforcers. He calls us to make peace. Peace. In Romans 12, Paul expands on this by saying, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And what does this mean? It means you choosing to live like God created you to, here and now. That you wouldn't fall back into the chaos and the systems of the world, but instead you would establish a new rule of life. A rule of life from here to heaven that echoes God's dream for creation. God wants you to bring a garden culture 
into a world at war. He wants you to carry his shalom wherever you go. And here's what's wild. Even though we know creation is incomplete, right? We know there's still disconnects. We know there's still a fracture between what God wants most and what we see. Even though conflict is the standard everywhere we look, as Christians, this standard no longer defines you. I need you to know that that this doesn't need to be your expectation for your tomorrow. We will all face stress in our lives. We'll all face tension. We'll all go through crises. We'll all experience brokenness of the world. We'll all get sick and we'll all eventually die. How about that for good news, right? (laughs) That's a fact, but listen, even in the trials... Jesus said he left us with a gift. And what is that gift? Peace of heart and mind. Jesus left us his peace. Everyone will go through chaos. Everyone will experience trials. Everyone will die. But not everyone has received the gift of of peace of heart and mind. So as far as it depends on you, listen, you can live at peace that might seem totally wild, but it, you can experience real peace this side of heaven. It just means you choosing to live his way within God's instructions, and you can do it. You can. If you're a Christian, I want you to understand that you have the, the power to reset creation lives in you. The power to reset creation lives in you. You have the ability to live at peace and carry his shalom to a world that needs it most. And it's all because of what we see happen in John chapter one. The word became flesh and lived among us. It's all because of Christmas, all because a child was born and a son was given in this great plan of peace. So as we close today, I, again, it's every pastor's dream to like blow your minds on Christmas, okay? It's like, man, how can I make this so crazy and interesting that people will leave thinking, wow, that was the best Advent message I've ever heard, right? It's in us, but I just wanna keep this clear over clever, okay? I wanna speak this over you one more time. You can experience phase one of God's peace in the world. Jesus came to earth so you might live in the fullness of life, in his shalom from here until the other side. And this is available to you. It is. But you have to let go. You have to let go of the old so you might step in to the new. You have to let go of the dark and allow that light to shine in. And I I understand that life is hard. I understand that we're all going through stuff. This past week, um, when we were in Wisconsin, there was a a street preacher named Jim. Had a stroke last week, died. Just like that. I mean, just like that. And this guy, man, he loved people so well. And some some might say, man, why didn't God do something about this? Maybe this is where you're at right now. Man, I'm going through this garbage wreck. Why doesn't God just do something? I need you to know God did do something. He sent Jesus for you, okay? And I I know that that's sometimes hard to hear, 
because we're so fixated on the moment of today. But I need you to understand that Jim, he's not blaming God for having a stroke and dying. He is celebrating in heaven today, okay? And so I just need you to understand that there is peace available to you. God has done all the work and he will finish what he started. One day, y'all, for all who believe, this world will be repaired to the way it was always intended to be. All things will be made new and we will experience perfect peace for eternity one day. But in the meantime, y'all, Jesus has given you peace, peace of heart and peace of mind. But you gotta leave the garbage behind. You gotta step away from the, the systems of the world that are holding you in this chronic cycle of tension and chaos and I know that you know, like, we invite chaos into our life all the time. We gotta leave the chaos behind and we gotta step into this new season of peace with the Lord. Amen? Amen. And this is what was made possible because of Christmas. There it is. Let's pray and then let's hit the road. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for today. We celebrate your advent, your arrival. God, we're so grateful that you, that you took it upon yourself to make peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of your sacrifice on the cross. God, we're so grateful that, that, that you arrived and that we can trust that your government of shalom will reign for all of eternity. But between now and then, God, we ask that you just open our eyes to all the systems, all the chaos that we bring into our story, all those ways that we aren't living consistent with, with your intention and with your instruction, God. We just ask that you make us aware because God, every day that we continue to step into a life outside of your intention, we are choosing to step away from peace. And so God, we ask that your peace of heart and mind would just be so present in us today. And God, that you'd help us become even more aware, even more aware of the world and creation as you always wanted it. God, let us be people of peace to those around us. God, let us be peacemakers in the world. God, let us carry the shalom that we have received out into the darkest corners of our communities and let the, sh the light of Jesus just shine bright. God, we love you and we thank you and we're so grateful for Christmas. We're so grateful for good cookies and all the nostalgia that goes along with it. But God, we're more grateful than ever that you, through Christmas, you have instated a plan of peace. A plan to make peace with your people and ultimately to bring peace on earth for good. And so Jesus, we celebrate you, we honor you, God, we worship you, and we thank you for all that you've done and all that you promise. And so it's your name that we pray. And we